everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we get to hear from the man behind this track right here, The Wild Wild West by Escape Club. Everybody remembers this song, right? This thing was huge. Reached number one back in 1988. We're talking to frontman Trevor Steele. Now, Trevor has actually had a pretty interesting story. You know, I was just thinking, we've had other people on here before who've had one big hit, maybe a couple other decent-sized hits. I'm thinking about, like, Nick Van Eed from The Cutting Crew, and I Just Died in Your Arms Tonight. And Nick's been able to maintain a pretty decent living ever since, thanks to that number one song. That's not exactly Trevor's story. I don't know why exactly, but this song, as huge as it was, is not exactly still ubiquitous today, you know? And so he's had to kind of diversify in his career. Management, production, songwriting, whatever it might be. They did have one other giant hit in 1991 with I'll Be There. That was also top 10. I think people sometimes forget that those are from the same band. But that's basically it. They've released about five or six albums over the last 30, 35 years. And there is a much broader spectrum of sound than you might realize. In fact, I would recommend checking out, if you think you know Escape Club, I would check out their first album. And then I would also check out their most recent album, 2012 Celebrity. They're both really good and very different than I think you would think they sound like. Anyway, this was a listener request. Jeff Penn. Oh, I meant to ask you, Jeff, how to pronounce your last name. Penn? Penny? Penne? I'm not sure. P-E-N-N-E. I'm sorry, Jeff. I meant to ask you about this and I forgot. Anyway, this was Jeff's recommendation and it was genius. Perfect recommendation. Thank you, Jeff. Trevor called me from his home in London. So I remember so well the first time I ever heard Wild Wild West. I believe I saw the video on Friday Night Videos, which is a big deal in the States back in the late 80s. I don't think I heard it on the radio first, but it, there's a perception, I think, that Escape Club sort of burst out of nowhere with this gigantic, massive song. But that's not really the case. You guys have been sort of around for a while prior to that, right? I want to ask yeah, that, how yeah. you were positioned to sort of get launched the way that you were. But I want to hear about kind of the gritty earlier days, too. Tell me about that. Oh, God. Okay, so it's strange. I think to most Americans, um, especially, we, we came out of nowhere, which was a, a great thing and also, <laughs> I guess, a bad thing for us in the long run. So we'd been around. We'd had a record deal with EMI prior to that, and we put an album out called Whitefield.
Yeah, we really enjoyed making and we've got a, a, a core of really dedicated fans who follow us around all over the UK. We had a really good time with the album, but as things go, you know, you know, in the music business, as I know now, looking back on it, you know, you've got to start selling a lot of records before, you know, <laughs> before anyone yeah. gets interested in you. So yeah. we were happy. We, we used to play to 500 people a night, which in UK oh, nice. sense was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it was really yeah. good. And we People knew the words to the songs, and it was really great. Um, <laughs> so we had a good time touring around doing that. And then we, was, luckily back in those days, there was still some money in the, in the industry. And the head of the label said, well, you know, this is all very good, guys. I, I'm going to let you make another album, but you'd better write it here. <laughs> mm, okay. <laughs> so right. we, we, went, we went away, had a think about it, and then we wrote oh, Wild Wild West. The success of that song, I think, is also partly due to... Chris Kimsey, who produced it, we, we sat in there and, and made a quite interesting record because it started off as a three-minute record. And as you probably remember, it's much longer than that. And the bit at the end, you know, all the rap and all that stuff and guitar uh-huh. solos and all that, we did that as, as a possible 12-inch. So, you know, back in the day, you used to oh. edit your 12 inches by, you know, cutting tapes up and stuff. We thought, well, hey, well, why don't we just record the 12-inch and we'll edit out a single? <laughs> so, uh-huh. Okay, that so makes we went, sense. Yeah, so it makes and when you listen to it and imagine it as a 12-inch, it kind of makes sense. By the time we finished it and played it to people, people liked it so much as it was, we, we just carried on and put it out as a single, which was, you know, I can't remember how long it was in the end. I think it was almost four minutes long by the time it went to radio. That song feels very much like a sort of studio creation. I don't imagine yeah. you sitting on your bed at home, writing the song, strumming on your acoustic guitar, and imagining you know, gunshots and Spanish-Mexican <laughs> flourishes throughout and, and cowbell. How different was the end result from what you were imagining in your head as you're creating this song? Ah, oh, okay, from that song. It's quite interesting because the idea originally came about from John was listening to, I think he was watching a video in his house, and it was in the days of MTV or whatever, and there was a Run DMC track on. And he went, oh, that's really cool. I really like that beat. He went upstairs and, and started messing around and thought he'd reproduced it. He'd done something completely different and twice the speed. <laughs> but it was a really cool drum beat. And he was, you know, using an old-fashioned drum machine to do that. Okay. And then we came round and just kind of wrote the song over it. So we were already writing away from the rehearsal room, which was unusual for us. Yeah, and it just started off as a, as a studio-type demo. And I think going in with Chris Kimsey really opened it up because Chris is, yeah. uh, Chris is still a good friend. I mean, the way he produces a lot of the time, he brings session guys in where you wouldn't expect them. So mm. the girl backing singers and like you say, the cowbell yeah. and all those little things just added yeah. loads more spice to what we'd normally do, you know? So that's how it, it worked. Was it your decision to bring in Chris? Because he had, around this time, just for anyone who doesn't know, he had, as of that moment, recently worked with other sort of British mainstay bands like the Psychedelic Furs and Susie and the Banshees and Killing Joke. Did you hear these albums and think that's the guy for us? Or did a label yeah. guy assign well, them to you? A label guy suggested it, and we said, well, <laughs> if you can get him, we'd love him. You know, it's one of yeah, those situations. Okay. That, you know, okay. kind of, uh, in, in those days, he was, he was really sought after. And um, yeah, we, we met him, really got on well with him. And, and luckily for us, he decided to come and make the record. So, and and it was, I, I learned so much working with Chris as well, because I later went on to become a producer and so did John. And, and I think oh. having a master class from Chris Kimsey is, is, yeah. is a really cool thing to have, you know. <laughs> you know, with a song like Wild Wild West, 
it's such an obvious hit, I feel like. You know, you listen to it, and there's no way this thing is going to float off into obscurity. It's no, there's no way it's going to be an album track. It's made to be played on the radio a lot. I'm curious if your label, and at this point you were on EMI. Yeah. So I, at this point, is EMI thinking, you know, that we've heard White Fields, and I really like that album. And they think, you know, there's something here. Let's see what they come up with for the second album. I guess what I'm asking is, do they hear Wild Wild West and think, we're going to put all our muscle behind promoting this band? Or do they decide that before that album comes out? You know what I mean? (laughs) Here's the interesting thing. Okay, so we made that record, and this is typical record company stuff. The guy who had given us the break, a guy called David Munns, actually, he's still in the business doing really well. He gave us the break, but then, you know, the way things go, he, he went off somewhere else. By the time we finished the album, he was no longer there. So we played, and I won't name names, but we played Wild Wild West to the head of A&R at the time, and he went, now nah, I can't hear a hit. <laughs> what? <laughs> really? <Yep. laughs> There's your A&R guys for you. Oh, yeah. And he's still in the business, which is quite shocking. But anyway, so he didn't hear okay. a hit. Luckily, by that time, we'd hooked up with a really, really good management company who were powerful enough to actually take it off of EMI with a deal, obviously, and um, took us over, over to Atlantic Records. Uh, and we, we had two or three labels looking, you know, looking at us and really wanting to sign us, you know, all American, I, I have to say. And we, and we, we eventually went with Atlantic and, and, the, and the rest sort of wrote itself, really. I wondered what came first in that situation, you know? That's sort of like just backroom politics and music labels that I'm just curious about sometimes. Your mind has to be kind of going crazy. I mean, you, you've gone from being this very respectable little band throughout England, and yeah. suddenly you've got a, one, a number one song every, almost everywhere but England, right? You're not really even a thing anymore in England. You're a much bigger deal in other parts of the world, from what I understand. That's right. Yeah, that, that's How did right. you yeah. Illustrate for us how someone's life changes in that moment from being sort of an aspiring, struggling musician to being, you know, world famous overnight. Not really overnight, sort of. Well, like you say, it didn't happen in in the UK. And I was in London and I remember being in a pub, (laughs) having a a few beers with my mates, you know, and and it was chart Uh night in America. And my manager phoned me up and said, well, you're never going to believe this, but you guys are number one. <laughs> no <laughs> but, way. Was, but I was sitting in a country where no one had even heard of us. So I just went yeah. back to the a drink and said, we're number one in America. What? And, and, all, and all, my, all my buddies were going to, to the bar staff, hey, this guy's number one. And going, yeah, yeah, right, of course he is. You know, no one paid for the <laughs> So well, then you're going to pick up the tab, right? All your buddies are like... Yeah, oh, yeah, of course I did. Of course I did, yeah. Yeah, if I knew yeah. that place as well. But anyway, it took a, a few... Well, probably probably a month before we actually went out there. No, actually, no, it must have been... Sorry, my memory's pretty bad. It was a long time ago, John. That's yeah, okay. Um, so we, they must have put us on a plane pretty quickly. And I remember landing in New York to a stretch limo to the record company oh, there. Everybody's looking after us. We're doing interviews after interviews you know and and it was a real shock to the system yeah and i and i remember it was a weird thing because we spent all this time struggling to get there then all of a sudden you're there really quickly and i remember being in a hotel with the rest of the guys and and johnny the bass player said to said to us you know what i I don't know if I, I really wanted this. Is this is this what we? No, you know, there's really. this confusion because all of a sudden sure. you're just 
part of a machine. You know, you, yeah. you're, you, this interview, that interview, that interview. And I remember even being in the limo driving off to another interview and, and the girl from the record company phoning up record stores, right, speak to this guy, speak to that guy, tell him you, you love him stocking your record. And you're like, what? You know, it's just like... Uh, <laughs> and you're kind of not used to that, you know. And, and yeah. it took a while to understand that you kind of have to draw lines and say well we're going to do this yeah. and we're not going to do that try not to be difficult but you know otherwise you'll sure. just squeeze you dry you know i know these times have to be a real shock and and difficult and exhausting probably but was there a sense of like i can't believe we did it i mean were you able to celebrate your success in the moment <sighs> or was it too crazy to be able to even fact kind of realize what's going on it's too crazy it just is i mean really? i think we we always tell the story about we didn't really realize where we were at until we the one, on the first day we arrived in New York they gave us an hour break and they said what do you want to do and we said oh we'll go to the top of the Empire State so we, we all went up the Empire State up in the elevators and got to the top and we were just mobbed by these kids and it's like whoa <laughs> it's like uh-huh. famous or something for the day you know really strange because uh-huh. we hadn't been used to that um, we, yeah uh-huh. we had our fans back in the UK but we kind of knew all of them you know so it was really strange to suddenly be in that position and I think celebrating it during the time you kind of do, but I think I appreciate it more even now, more than I did then, because I realise really? now what a great achievement that is yeah, to go to number yeah. one in the States. But Definitely. at the time, you're so busy, you believe so much in yourself, you kind of just expect it to happen. Because yeah. I think everyone in any band has to believe and expect it to happen, otherwise you kind of give up, you know? You know, when the next single comes out, Shake for the Chic, which I actually like better, honestly... the top 40 but it wasn't quite as big a hit and then you guys kind of fade away until 91 when the when the next album comes out when yeah. are you you may not have realized when the star was rising or at its peak but are you aware when the star is starting to fade as well or are you still kind of like immersed in everything you're doing and still not really realizing whether you're hot or cold or popular or not or on the upswing or down you, I think when you're in the band, and I, I'm speaking here with the wisdom of years and having worked in the industry for so long now, I, I can see where we went wrong. <laughs> but I oh, think when okay. you're in the band, you kind of see the star falling. And, you, okay. and if you're smart, you sense it and you, do some, you should do something about it. We didn't as much as we should have done, in my opinion, now when I look back uh-huh. on it. You know, there's a couple of things. Like when Shake was released, it, it, they released it too early. They were still playing Wild Wild West. Like every oh, radio really? station was still playing oh. it. Oh god, yeah. So to add Shake, you know, when they still got Wild Wild West on their on their playlist, yeah. it's kind of. I mean, obviously, loads of them did. And you know, to be honest, I, it probably wasn't as big a obvious 
big and obvious hit as, as Wild West was. Uh, and I think after that, there were other things, there were other potential singles on the album that should probably have taken precedence. But yeah. again, we didn't know, we didn't know enough. We weren't commercially minded, to be honest, as a band, because we've been, yeah. we were a rock band, you know, and we wrote uh-huh. kind of a song that sounded like a pop song, and it, we were really lucky that it was a hit. But yeah. to then carry on doing that would have, you know, we would have had to readjust our the whole DNA of the band, and we we tried, but it it just wasn't there. We've already recorded the album, you know. I assume you had to have come out and toured the states for a while. There, were you opening yep. shows for other artists? Were you headlining your own? Do you have any do any kind of cool memories stick out from that period? Yeah, fifty fifty. I mean, we we did um we did did a lot of headlines. A lot. Of, I remember one one my one of my big moments was we did an open air gig oh god i can't remember where it was i think it was in texas one of those okay. big open airs. so many people it was us um information society you remember those guys oh, shared the bill. yes i love that yeah sure yeah yeah so we were really looking forward to it you know because we really like their stuff as well i can't remember uh-huh. who opened for who it was a toss of the coin probably because we were both in the yeah. same place but i remember right. i just had one moment when i started one of the songs with just an acoustic guitar and me singing right so i'm really? sitting i'm standing up on the stage singing this song, playing guitar, and looking out over, I don't know how many thousand people, and thinking, holy shit, <laughs> this is me doing this. <laughs> it's just, uh, just that quite little bit of realisation, yeah. you know, when it comes in. Yeah. Um, but, mate, I mean, most of the time when you're on the road, you do the gigs, you go to the next gig, you know, I mean, we've got loads of gig stories, like every band has, you know. One yeah. of the ones being, we played, we did a whole bunch of high school gigs. I can't remember what the thinking was really? behind it. Yeah, but we ended up doing a, um, a gig in a in a Catholic girls' school. Okay, so it was it was it, all, it was all you know all their teachers were, were sisters. They were all nuns, you know, and all this sort of stuff. Uh-huh. And, and our tour manager said, you know, have you got security arranged for the front of the stage? And the mother superior said, yeah, yeah, and we, the sisters will be down the front. And, the, and our tour manager was going, no, no, you don't understand it. The, the kids won't. And I remember going on stage. We all went on stage, played the first note, and we just saw all these women just getting engulfed by all the kids just rushing into <laughs> <on> the stage. <laughs> anyway, oh, we got millions we of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's nuts. I think our biggest worry to be honest, you know, talking back from the beginning is when we went came back to the UK, having had a what to our fans would have looked like a pop hit in the US, yeah. and we obviously it wasn't a hit in the UK, so we came back and we supported. I think it was the Alarm, in, oh, and our first gig was yeah, yeah. So do I. We learned a lot from watching those yeah. guys. And our first yeah. gig with them was I think it was in Glasgow Barrowlands, which is notoriously tough gig. You know, if they don't like oh. you, they let you know. And I remember okay. waiting backstage and going, "Oh my God, we're going to die because they, they're going to hate us because we've had a pop, you know, we've had a pop here yeah. and they're not going to like it. They're going to pop us, you know." Our best memories is that we went on stage and played the, the opening of the first track, and it just went nuts because all our fans <clears throat> had come up to see us, and they still they kind oh, of forgave good. us. <laughs> it was really, oh nice. That was like, it was a great homecoming, really. Yeah, it was lovely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. So okay, yeah. so let, I mean, I. We try to cover kind of the business of the money side of, you know, of rock music on here. Could you live off Wild Wild West money for the rest of your life? Oh, I don't I wish. Okay, so it's a... Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's loads of ins and outs on this. Without 
accusing anyone or anything. I mean, look, every sure. band from the eighties is going to have the same the same um, answer. And also, I mean, I've managed bands since, and I know what it's like. Yeah. You go into yeah. a major record label and ask them to account to you; they will not give you the accounts. You have to kick and scream. So oh, that's boy. the start of it. Um, and and we, I've never seen accounting. I've never seen one account really? from from our management, from Atlantic Records, nothing. Never seen a thing. The only place we made any money was via publishing, which they couldn't get their greasy hands on. You know, I mean, look, I, I, I still get royalties from Wild West. It's nothing like it was with Spotify in the way now and all that sort of stuff. But no, I couldn't make yeah. a living out of it. No, not at all. I think if things had gone legally and, and and without any overrides and without all that sort of stuff, yeah, we could have made a decent amount of money. But we didn't. So, you know, hey, look, it's, got, 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 it, it's just the way it goes. I mean, I'm not the only person sure. to talk about that, really. You know, No, no, no. I mean, I ask most, I have a lot of, not that you're a one-hit wonder, but I have a lot of yeah. three-hit wonder, actually. But I have a lot of artists yeah. kind of in your same boat. They were around yeah. throughout the 80s, and they have you know one giant hit and one or two maybe other top 40s. And some of them, yeah. some of them, those songs live on, and they had their business in order and can live off that. Some of them yeah. can't, you know. So yeah. It's really interesting to find out who, you know, what the story is for on a lot of these songs because. I mean, that song was ubiquitous for a couple of years, and you still oh, hear it periodically today. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And a lot of the times, a lot of things, you know, the, the truth is with a lot of those guys, they've got one writer, you know. Or yeah, with us, yeah. we, we split everything between the band, you know. Not necessarily how it was, but that's how, yeah. that's how you do it. So, yeah. you know, and obviously it gets diluted that way. So, you know, okay. but, you know I think the, thing, the truth is if, you, if you're smart, you can stay in, stay in the business and you can carry on. I'd... You can go out gigging a lot still with, with the names. Uh-huh. You go on one of those 80s tours and stuff. We've had a go at that, but you're not going to make a fortune doing that, <laughs> put it like that. Sure, but, okay, so that was another question I had for you. Do you guys play those 80s nostalgia shows and stuff very often? Occasionally. Um, we do. We, okay. In fact, we were offered one this year. I, I couldn't do it because I was in the studio doing an album, but we do get offered them. It just depends. That obviously you've got you've got things like visas and stuff to worry about because uh-huh. we're scattered all over the world now. John and I. Well, I was living in Australia up until a, a year ago. John's still in Australia. Johnny is in London with me now. But uh-huh. and, and their drummer, the new drummer, Red, is out in um, is out in LA. So, so oh, wow. we're all over the world. <laughs> so so yeah, we can get goodness. together, but it's going to cost people money for us to do it. That's the problem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Because, yeah, that seems like, I mean, I go to a lot of those, you know, retro shows and stuff. I love them. Yeah. And, I mean, I would think you guys would be perfect for that. You go out and play those three or four big hits. Everyone yeah. loves it. And you collect yeah. your money and you keep your name alive wherever it is oh, you're yeah. playing. So you do yeah, we have done them, but it's not a primary yeah, yeah. thing for you. Uh, okay. Oh look, I, I'd love to. Seriously, if, if there's any promoters listening, we'd love to do it. Uh-huh. Just, uh, we don't get offered them. <laughs> it's the truth of Interesting. it. Interesting. See, I would think you yeah. would. Okay. Yeah. All well, right. I think we've kind of forgotten a little bit in that respect. But no, I'd love to. It just has to be, huh. you know, obviously has to be the right yeah. one. But we'd definitely do it. Yeah, absolutely. You get invited to, now because, from what I understand, again, I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. You guys weren't that big of a deal, really, in the UK, or at least not as big a deal as you were in the States or in other areas. Do you get invited to play these shows in the UK, or are they usually not invitations the, from other parts of the world? They're mainly from the, from the US, uh, mainly okay. from the US. I mean, the funny thing is we've got a, a, a really loyal band of, of friends from the first album, from Whitefield, who really yeah. wanted to, go, to do a gig in London to do that, which we want to do. 
It's just it's just getting everyone in from around the world to do it. <laughs> it's a hard okay. thing, you know. Boy, this is fascinating. I had no idea. So then you go off, and in 1991, you come back with Dollars and Sex. And yes. That is, I think people forget that that, too, had a giant hit on it. I'll be there. Yeah, Very I'll be there, yeah. Other stuff. All the mountains, all the trees, over oceans, over seas, across the desert, I'll be there. In a whisper on the wind, on the smile of a new friend, just think of album for you as guys as a band were making the same kind of impact possibly that you were before maybe it no. felt a little bit like you were swimming upstream this is my perception yeah. you can tell me if i'm way off but what was yeah. going into making that album and that you know the the promotional cycle around it ah uh, okay so with that one right with that album i think we were caught up in the business side of things a little bit and I think most bands get into that situation as well you're on to the third album musically our tastes were beginning to differ and again you're going to hear yeah. that a lot <laughs> so, yeah. so we all went to make an album that in retrospect I, I probably wouldn't do it the way we did it but I think I'll be there we've got to thank our management for that being a hit really because they believed in it so much they actually did all the calls to the radio and all that sort of stuff and it was a hit oh, despite the lack of promotion. We did actually have a yeah. song called Call It Poison, which is the lead off, which yep. did really well for a while oh, and then just disappeared. Okay.
what yeah. happened was, is the way radio, you know, everything you learn on radio in those days. And I remember being at an NXS gig in New York or something, because I was living in Connecticut at the time. And, and I went to New York, and it had just come out, and, and the label were there, because we were on the same label as them. And the label were all really excited. Oh, man, you got, you've been added. You've been added by all these stations, you know. But it was only the rock stations, really, that added it. And we realised when we went round and did the radio tour that our song just sounded so heavy and so guitar-based mm. compared to everything yeah. else that was coming out at that time. Yeah. Everything was soft ballads, power ballads. I, I mean, I can't yeah. name any songs now because it seems so long ago, but it was, you know, sure. it, radio had gone very soft. Um, yeah. We didn't fit into that picture at all. We really didn't. Mm. But then I'll Be There came out, and, and and that was soft, and it was a hit. So we were lucky yeah. in that respect. Yeah. Okay. But I remember in that time as well, and this is towards the end of that album, I remember I was sort of staying in a place in Connecticut, and, and, and the kid downstairs had just brought uh, Nevermind. Nirvana, right? <laughs> and, and, and he was playing it day, day and night, and, I, and uh-huh. I heard it, and then I saw the video, and I went, Oh shit! <laughs> these guys are, <laughs> are going to change music. You just knew it, just felt it, you know. Yeah. And then John and I were on a, on a, and, and, and look, this is the whole story. That the thing is, you know, financially we weren't doing as well as we should have done. Really, mm. the money was all disappearing, and we we were on a plane coming back to London, and we were talking and went, you know what? Honestly, we, you know, look at how much we're paying our producers. You and I could do that. Why don't we just become producers for a bit? But we. We've just, done, just had a hit, but we, we yeah. could feel, you know, you were talking about the downward curve, we could feel yeah. it. We had that yeah. sense. Oh, really? Okay, so by then you were seeing it, yeah. It, we were seeing it, you know, you know, grunge had come out, it, sure. our musical taste had changed, you felt a cold wind blowing a little bit from the label and from the management, and John and I just went, you know, maybe we should do a bit yeah. of production and see how we get on with that. It didn't mean we'd wanted to split the band up at the time, we, we waited and see what happens, but we thought we'd get into a bit of production in the meantime. And then they kind of just pretty much hang us out to dry, really, to be honest. It's like, you know, mm. we didn't have much, we didn't have much choice financially, but to, but to split. I, I regret okay. it. I do regret really? it. I wish we hadn't. Yeah, I do. Because I think we could have, you wish you if we'd have pulled going. together. Yeah, I think so. In a small cottage industry sort of way, I think if we'd have pulled together, maybe taken a year break yeah. and then had another go, made an album between ourselves, we could have done it. And I, I God, I wish, you know, wish it was like it was now, you know, with the, with the internet. Yeah. Another thing that I find really interesting are sort of the transitions in bands' lives because there's such high highs and low lows for so many people. That, you know, that plane ride when you and your bandmates are talking about, let's just go into production, is there a sense of fear in that? I mean, when you wake up the next morning and you think, huh, Escape Club is over. These uh, these Uh, last 10 years are kind of done. What what am I going to do now? Is there a sense of you feel heavy from that or are you sort of like, Hey, this is gonna be a new opportunity. You know, a door is opening. I'm off. This feels good. It kind, yeah, it kind of didn't feel like that because it wasn't an immediate thing. And, and really, it was just John and I, with me and the guitarist, were the okay. ones who were saying maybe we want to do that. Johnny and Mill wanted to carry on, um, and they were right to want to carry on. It was just one of those mm. things. Everything, everything got mired down into. Started getting personal. It started getting financial. And I've seen so many bands since then when the story is the same. And unfortunately, your brothers who've been with you all this time. You start looking yeah. at each other and going, oh, you know, you kind of lose trust and all that sort of stuff goes down. It's really awful, um, you know. Yeah. So luckily, we, we, me, John, and Johnny all talk now. That's all cool, you know. So okay, good. So we're all okay. But you know, it, it, there is regret in it. Of course, there is. Okay. But, but you can always you can lay the blame outside the band. Really, <laughs> it's always outside. Uh-huh. 
leave you sure. to that situation. So, so sorry, the long answer to your question is when it does happen, yeah, you go through a period of mourning. It's, re- it's yeah. really hard. You do. And it's, it's almost like a okay. death, really. It takes you a long while to get I over it. I believe it. Yeah. Especially yeah. if in your, like if, if an artist is in your situation where they didn't see a huge financial benefit from their success, so it's not yeah. like you're probably sitting next. I mean, maybe you are, but I'm envisioning Trevor Steele is not in, sitting next to the, you know, on a lawn chair next to the pool in his new giant mansion that no. he bought from his number one hit, and thinking, oh, I'll go do something else. You're kind of back yeah. to your apartment, and like things are, That's you know, right. oh, what am I going to do now? Now I got to, I got to hustle to find something else now. That's you know, right. Different. Yeah. That's what we did, and hustle is what what I did. Um, you know, yeah. I was. I was kind of half in, in the States. I was half in Connecticut at the time and half in London. And I started making it known to my publisher that I, me and John, between us said, we want to write songs for other people, we want to produce, and just started hustling. And we got the gigs, you know, yeah. because we just Good. come off a number one, and, you know, so sure. we came back to the UK. And in the 90s, we produced so many, like, big pop hits, you know, for, for different yeah. artists in, in the UK. Really? And, and we did... Yeah, we made some money out of that. <laughs> so, 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 I mean, tell me who some of these are because we're gonna we're gonna sprinkle in some snippets of the songs that we talk oh, about on re- here. They're really. So, pop. tell me some big hits really... you had in the UK. Um, we wrote and produced a song called "Naked" by a girl called Louise. Another one okay. by her uh, arms around the world. We did.
and they're the only two I probably want to get a plate because we did some okay. really atrocious stuff. <laughs> and, we, and we did stuff for Westlife and Simon Cowell stuff, you know, really, oh, really pop. You know what? You know, that stuff pays money, you know. That's what we were sure, after. So, you know, and, yeah. and we were happy to do it, you know. It was fun. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we did that right Great. through the 90s. And then, then we made, you know, we made a little studio project. John and I did a studio project just to keep our hand in called Cloud 10, which we were just messing around and making yeah. music. that out on cd baby you know just for a bit of fun yeah (laughs) okay yeah i really like your 2012 album celebrity that's really how do i thank you i love that yes yeah me too yeah you know and i'm listening to it lately and i'm thinking anyone who thinks they know who escape club is because of the couple of hits needs to listen i thought the same thing about whitefields too Listen yeah. to the stuff on the other ends of this of the peak of their career because there's a lot oh. of really interesting music that's not quite as specific as those songs were. They're more pop. Yeah. It's really good yeah. and strong. Let's all go and get famous. You don't have to be strangers. Come on and share the publicity. long as there's somebody watching and you can smile about something you're never gonna be a non-entity cause it's a buzz when reality hits it's gotta stick when you think about it See 
Yeah, I, I really love that. And John, the story between that, behind that was uh, John and I were both living in Australia by then, mm. both kind of not working together particularly. Um, I, I went into management and production. John was just doing production. Um, and again, we wanted to make an album. So Red, who's a long-time buddy of ours, a drummer, we got him to do the drums. Um, Johnny, we, we offered the gig to, but he, he'd been through some personal stuff and he couldn't do it, unfortunately. I wish he could have done mm. it. He had, he had stuff he had to deal with, so he couldn't do it. So it's just right. me, John, and Red. And, and John and I wrote the songs and just had a really good time recording them. And it was from the heart, you know, it's what we wanted to do. Yeah. And, and I loved, yeah. loved doing it. It was a really fun album to do, yeah. Good. I like that one a lot, too. I think it's a really strong album. So basically, ever since the you know the end of Escape Club, which I'm guessing was around probably '92 or '93 yeah. or so, you've yeah. uh, you've basically been kind of always making a living within music, but yeah. just on the the other side of of you know the other side of it, the production, the management. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Well, good. So yeah. I got to hear yeah. <laughs> some of your best stories. I mean, it sounds like maybe you were too insulated to really experience you know any kind of Beatlemania type experiences, but what were so, I mean, did you meet any heroes? Did you have any? Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I met loads of heroes. In the yeah. 80s is my, is, that's my sweet spot. Not that you guys sound very British, but you came up through that. So, yeah. You know, were you, what were some of the heroes you got to interact with? Oh, really? Well, we, we, did, a, we did a whole bunch of gigs with um, Big Country. I love those guys. Oh, and I love it, them. Yes. I met, met Ian Jury and played with, played, supported him as well which was really uh-huh. good i was a big fan of his i mean over over the years i've met paul mccartney and oh god you know Silly. i think he's probably the most famous yeah 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 wow. most famous person i've met yeah i mean we've met so many the only person i never met and i wish i had was bowie i was, I was such yeah. a massive fan never got to meet the guy yeah. but I, I would love to have met him yeah and we went yeah. to um there was a there's a really famous party that was in Kensington Gardens Hotel in London. It's, it's been, I think it was Queen. Yeah, it was a Queen party. So we met all those guys. But this is, this was a, this party goes down in history as one of Freddie's more extravagant parties. All the, all the waiting staff were completely naked, but, but painted in body paint. <laughs> and, and there were people dispensing yes. substances in all the toilet. It was just full on, real 80s excess. I mean, that, that one night, stays in my memory and always I mean there's stuff I can't wow. talk, talk about really but it was so loud <laughs> it was the loudest party I've ever been to yeah it was brilliant <laughs> oh only rock stars get to do stuff like that you know exactly so exactly yeah yeah oh that's great cool what about you personally I mean have you are you married do you have kids do you yeah story? I'm married I don't don't have kids I'm living in London okay. now I I spent okay. the last 13 years living in Australia just come back to London I'm working on a on a sort of tech startup thing. I'm also working on probably going back into a bit of management and production here. When I was in Australia, I did really well with a young band down there. We went, we got them platinum and, you know, did really, really? well. Three albums, yeah, three albums I co-produced and I managed them. They did really well for Australia. What was the so name of that band? They were called Short Stack. Okay. Interesting. Um, and, and they were a big deal in Australia. You were they were a big deal in Australia. Yeah, I wrote and produced their biggest hit, which was Planet.
but I kind of managed them. I, I created them, really. Though. <laughs> I hate to say that, but they were wow. kind of between between me and the singer. We created them. I, I, I found them in a high school um, competition and went, hmm, "Hey guys, you could be famous." You know. <laughs> so, really. So between us, yeah, we they they were huge. They were really big. They were all pretty so, boys, so they had loads of girls after them. You know. <laughs> oh, of course. That's what it's all about, yeah. right? Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So okay, so I'm fascinated by that. When you pick. When you see this, I mean, are they trying themselves to be musicians and you give them a break? Or are you basically formulating uh, a band, you know, out of nowhere? Like, you people have something. Let's get together and I'll make you famous. Yeah, no, no, with those guys, they definitely had they had it before I turned up. They could write great songs. I mean, you know, okay. they, needed, they, okay. needed, they needed polishing up big time, which we did. Yeah. And, and then it sure. was all about marketing them online, which, which we... You know, this was in the early days of MySpace and everything, so we beat the hell out of that and did really well. well they, I mean, they were headlining at the Sydney Opera House before, you know, before the media had even heard no of them. Way. We did it all on social media. So, yeah, and it was a really great journey. It was really good. Um, it turned sour in the end. It always does. <laughs> but it was fine. Of course. You know? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you, I mean, you sounds like you're obviously savvy enough and on top of things enough that, you've been able to negotiate a long career in music doing various things because you're able to do that. Not everyone, you know, a lot of people can't do that. As you probably know, I talk to a lot of people on here who aren't in music anymore because they, yeah. they, they just couldn't, they didn't have the, I don't know what, the talent to, to pivot and go do something else, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, look, it's, these days it's really tough. It's, it's tough for everybody, yeah. though. Uh, you know, to, to, to stay in the music business and make a living, you ain't going to do it selling records, that's for sure. You know, you've got yeah, to find a way of yeah. making money out of gigs and merchandise, and you know, all the streaming services are killing us. It's just, you know, you hear it every day from all of us, but it, it's still possible to make a living. I, I find it more and more difficult, which is kind of why I'm, I'm looking more at the sort of the tech side of things now, really, and, and getting yeah. involved in that. You know, okay. so yeah, music's still my first love, though. Huh. Interesting. Now, I've had a lot of people comment or complain or criticize or whatever the streaming services like Spotify. You know, I love Spotify because I, it lets me check out those bands that I'm not sure about, you know? Like, sure. I, no, I've always heard of this band and I've wanted yeah. to, I don't know what they're about. And I normally, I'm, I'll just be honest, back in the day, I would have downloaded their stuff, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. To check yeah. it out. But now okay. I don't need to do that anymore. But But at the end of the day, though, that's still taking... You know, what do you do? You want someone to discover you through Spotify or not at all? You know what I mean? That is the okay. So here's the problem. I I agree with you. I I think you have to accept that it's the devil we have to put up with, and I don't mind that. Um, just to give you yeah. a picture, though, my songwriting royalties that I get from Radio Play have gone down eighty percent since Spotify came oh. on board. So so there's yeah. that. So the, the problem is though, when you go and speak to somebody who works for a major label, say Universal or Sony or something, they're going, "Ah, oh, Spotify's the greatest thing on earth. It's saved us." Da da da. Mm. Yeah, it saved them because they own part yeah. of Spotify, and they're not paying right. the artist. So the artists yeah. don't actually get any money, and that's the problem. Okay. It's been it's a big yeah. logjam of you know, and and the, I'm sure you've heard this before anyway. But so I've got nothing against the idea of it. It's just that they're not right. giving the money to the right people. You know? That makes sense. So no, I did know yeah. that I did know that kind of seedier side of the business. But you say something that makes I hadn't considered before, which is that because of things like Spotify and YouTube and Pandora and whatever traditional radio is obviously dying out. We all know that, but I hadn't considered. Yeah the impact that less radio play 
financially would make on an artist like you. So it's, yeah. uh, the Spotify yeah. money, which is very, so little, is replacing the radio money you used to see, which was more substantive, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'll get, okay. say, well, West, for instance, I'll get, I'll see my statement coming through from my publisher or whatever, saying, well, well, West, one million plays, that's like 20 cents or whatever it is on Spotify. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you've got to be kidding, you know? Oh, man. <laughs> that's the oh, harsh that's reality terrible. of it, you know? <laughs> that is terrible. Like, oh, goodness. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. not fair. It's just not fair it's when not. the creative people don't get to benefit from the, the good things they put out in this world. You know what I mean? How, did, how yeah. broken is this system that you don't get to see the benefits of the goodness you put in people's lives? I don't get it. I, I agree. I, I think it's sad. Yeah. You know? It's, it's uh, absolutely true. And I, I will say, I, I personally, it might be being, be being a little negative, but I don't think there will be many professional songwriters emerging after uh, through this period. Yeah, you know, because yeah. you know, a, a lot of my friends, I mean, that's what I deal with all the time, but all of us are really suffering now because it's it's kind of pointless writing songs because yeah, you yeah. don't earn any money out of it. Um, and I think yeah. that will be reflected in what we're all listening to over the years, you know? Yeah, I agree. And it, I, I think it makes an album like Celebrity, if I could put a, one more little plug in for that one, such an anomaly because it's such a great album and mm-hmm. it shows what, legacy artists are capable of if yeah. they have the right platform and frankly the motivation to do it which like you yeah. just said why would you i mean again i talked to a lot of people who are still putting out albums and you know it's questionable who is paying much attention aside from you know maybe maybe they have 3000 facebook fans yeah and 10% if they're lucky of those people are really going to seek out with anyway it's just so yeah. difficult so a, a guy who's an awesome songwriter like you has an urge to put out some music. What do you do with it? And then no one gets to hear it, and that's no good either, you know? No. And to be really honest, that's why I don't do it anymore, because it's not yeah, yeah. financial. It's because, I mean, obviously I'd love to do it, but you've got to justify it. So, I mean, the amount sure. of time it takes to write and record 10 songs is, is a long time, yeah. you know, and, you know, yeah. it's a good six months' work, and at the end of it, if, if you're not yeah. getting to anybody, what's the point, you know? It's very yeah. sad. You're going to pay for yeah. it, too. You're going to pay yeah, for those course. 10 songs. No one else is, you're not going to make that money back, most likely. No, you never will. So. You never will. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, Trevor, thanks a lot for talking to me. I've had a fascinating you're more than welcome. 30 years, <laughs> and I love, you gave great answers, and you're a great interview, and I really appreciate you kind of telling me straight how it works, and I think it's really fascinating, and I wish you the best. And I hope people Thank you, will Joe. go find, if they think they know Escape Club, Please go out and find their other stuff because there's really interesting music throughout. But it's the the stuff you may like is the stuff you probably don't even know exists. Don't you think? That's very true. Yeah, I totally think. Good. It's the stuff I like. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Good. Okay. Me too. There you have it, Trevor Steele. Such a good guy. I really like that conversation. Very enlightening. If you're regular listeners, then you're learning basically as I am that some artists can live forever on their hits and some can't. And I have yet to figure out really what the rhyme or reason is. I think about someone like Mike Edwards from Jesus Jones and how he still lives pretty comfortably from right here, right now. But then there's someone like Bill Wadhams who didn't write An Emotion's Obsession but sang on it and it was bigger than any of these songs. But he has a regular job. And Trevor's somewhere in the middle and I really don't know why that is. I will tell you I went to the Retro Futura tour here in Denver last week, headlined by Howard Jones, uh, Men Without Hats played, English Beat, 
It was really fun. The opener for that was Katrina of Katrina and the Waves. She comes out, she does her four songs, she leaves, Paul Young comes out, he does his four songs. Why wouldn't you have the Escape Club come out and their, and do their four songs? Those songs are were huge too. I don't understand it. I, I really, all I know is that if I were the one in charge, I would do things very differently. <laughs> That's all I know. Anyway, I want to close it out with another really good song from that 2012 album, Celebrity. This is called Waiting for the Sun. I like this song a lot. Now, I mentioned last week that our next couple of episodes, the guests, you would file them under the letter E alphabetically. I have not decided which one of the next two I'm going to run, but whatever it is, it'll you file it under E. That's all the teaser I can give you. I take pride in my teasers, and unfortunately, that's as good as I can give you this time. Thank you, Jeff, Penny, Pen, Penne, whatever it is. I'm sorry, I should have asked. I meant to. Thank you, Jeff, for the recommendation. You nailed it on this one. Now, the business, as you guys all know, find us on Facebook, like the page, send me a message if you want. You can send me, us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. If this is your first time joining us and you like 80s music, well, any kind of music, really, Go into the archives and see if there's other bands that we've talked to that you like. I would say the sweet spot is about 1975 to 1995. We try to cover how do these people make a living today and how do they look back on their careers. They were, there were ups and downs and they were hot for a minute and they were cold. How do people think about those things and feel about those things today? That's what we want to find out. Huge thanks as always to my right hand man, Jan the Man Makevich, thank you buddy for everything. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>